Hey, I wanna say something as you are continuing to celebrate. We have come out of a hard year and God is still good. We have had some difficult days, but I wanna thank you for being a part of this church. And if you're watching online or if you're gathered at one of our campuses today, you made it here today. You prioritize meeting together with the people of God. And the hair on my arms is standing up right now because the presence of God is tangible in his church. When we gather together, he is here with us. And so whether you're in person or online, God is here and that's a big deal. And that's where you wanna be and that's where I wanna stay and that's where I'm gonna spend eternity with God and the people of God forever and ever. Is anybody gonna say amen? Is anybody gonna celebrate that? I'm happy. I'm happy right now. There's so much to be sad about. There's so much to be upset about. There's so much to be triggered and bothered about. But we have the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. We have so much to celebrate and so much to be happy about. We should stand out in this world because we are filled with the joy of the Lord. And while everybody else is cussing out and freaking out and flipping out, we have a calm sense of the presence of God, that our God is sovereign. Our God is in control. I don't have to carry that weight. You don't have to carry that weight. Jesus has already carried that weight. Come on. Woo! You see the hair? I'm not making it up. You see that? That's the Holy Spirit. It's also my body telling me that Jesus is here. Okay, praise God. Y'all can sit down. Sit down if you can, like the old Pentecostal preacher used to say. Sit down if you can. Wow, I might just scrap my notes and go with a ghost today. I, I'm just saying. Well, hey, before we go any further, I wanna wish you a happy Memorial Day weekend. I wanna say right here, right now, one of the benefits of living in this nation is that we can gather today and we can worship God freely because men and women sacrifice their lives to buy that freedom for us. I've been to 50 countries. I've been to countries where Christians had to fear their government, where Christians had to fear other religions taking their lives because of their faith in Jesus. And I'm thankful for those who gave their lives so that we don't have to fear that in America. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Well, I get the great honor, if I can, uh, to wrap up this marriage series called Tested Love. And for me, I think one of the reasons why I was so emotional uh, before I came out, I'm standing over to the side of the stage here at this campus, and I'm looking out and I see my, my wife on the front row, and I see my two sons on the second row, and I see so many of my best friends in the world with their hands raised in worship. And I thought, God, I, I can't believe we get to experience this. So we're gonna talk about forgiveness today. How about that? I'm gonna get all up in my feels today because I have been forgiven much. The woman sitting right there on the front row has forgiven me of much. Jesus has forgiven me of much. And so today, instead of focusing on how hard it is to forgive your hard-headed husband, instead of focusing on how difficult it is to let go of bitterness, instead of talking about how we've all been hurt and we've all been offended and we've all had reason to carry offense with us, I want to focus on how beautiful forgiveness is. 
I want to talk about how liberating it is when you have experienced forgiveness. I want to talk about how life-giving it is when you give up the right to be offended and you say, because of Jesus, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to give a gift of forgiveness to somebody that doesn't deserve it just because they asked for it. And I'm not even going to wait until they ask for it. I'm going to make a predecision to forgive my husband, to forgive my spouse, to forgive that person that hurt me because who am I to hold unforgiveness in my heart toward a brother or a sister or my spouse when God has lavished forgiveness on me for the untold number of times I have offended him and broken his law and taken him unseriously. So today I'm gonna talk about, we're, I'm gonna preach, I'm not just gonna talk, I'm gonna preach about the beauty and the liberation of living a life marked by forgiveness, specifically for your marriage. Do you remember um, the marriage advice you got when you first were married? Anybody remember that? Now, some of us are married, some of us are not, all across our campuses. Shari and I got some good marriage advice and we got some terrible marriage advice. Some of the bad marriage advice we got, which is funny now, uh, one guy, I said, hey, what do I need to know about getting married? He goes, you know how in every, this was so, so dark. He goes, you know how in, in every murder case they investigate the spouse first? That's all you need to know about marriage. <laughs> no, don't say that. Another lady, she goes, yeah, marriage is kind of like a fairy tale, but in reverse. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you know, like Cinderella. Okay, just imagine Cinderella, but backwards. You start your marriage eating wonderful food at a beautiful party, wearing beautiful clothes, dancing with all of your best friends. And then you spend the rest of your life cleaning up after people. The best marriage advice that Shari and I received was five days before we were married. We went to a service at Gardner-Webb University where I attended college and a preacher was preaching after the service was over. Shari and I approached this man, it was a man that I looked up to, and I said, we're getting married in five days, you're married, what advice would you give us? And at the time I thought it was very simplistic, but now I realize it was literally the best advice Shari and I received. He looked at me and he said, you, need to say, I'm sorry. And he pointed to Shari and said, and you need to forgive him. And that has been the best advice I've ever received in marriage. Let me talk about what forgiveness is. The technical definition of forgiveness is literally canceling a debt. In the simplest form, in the simplest way I could describe it, forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's a gift that you give another person that they may not deserve, may not have even asked for, and have not yet earned. It's a gift of grace that you extend. Forgiveness is giving up the right to be offended. And wow, if we want to stand out in American culture right now, if we will just stop being offended at every single thing that happens or is said or is spoken, people will wonder why we don't walk around offended all the time. And we can simply say to them, because I have received the forgiveness of my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, I just look for opportunities to forgive other people. It is giving up the right to be offended. Let me show you what Paul says in Ephesians 
chapter 4, verse 32. It's one verse that we're going to talk about today. And in a moment, I'm going to allude to the previous 11 verses before it. But let's look at Ephesians 4, 32 together right now. Here's what Paul says very simply at the end of this passage of Scripture. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. There is no way to forgive each other in our marriages if we don't understand the forgiveness of God in Christ. But when we have received the forgiveness of our sin, when God's tender mercy is poured out on us, unearned and undeserved, it transforms us spiritually from the inside out so that we don't walk around judging other people for their shortcomings because we are fully aware that Jesus was judged for our shortcomings. And because I don't have to pay the debt for my sin, my debt has been canceled. In Christ, I can practice in my marriage and you can practice in your marriage the admonition from Paul to be kind, be compassionate, forgiving each other. It is a continual verb. It doesn't stop. And the reason why we have to practice forgiving each other is because both of you in your marriage are always sinning. Can we just admit to that? If you think you're perfect, I promise you're not. Just ask your spouse. They will affirm I'm right. <laughs> Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors says, there is no such thing as a perfect couple because both people in every marriage were so sinful, Jesus had to die on the cross to save them from their sin. And so forgiveness is for us the engine oil that keeps the marriage motor running. It's the engine oil that keeps the marriage motor from locking down. And I just wanna to submit to you that if in your marriage you, you, you have felt some distance between the two of you, if, if you're lacking in, in intimacy, emotional, or even sexual, if you find yourself feeling like more of a roommate and less like one flesh, maybe it's because you've let the oil levels go down in the motor. Maybe you haven't done a checkup in a while. Maybe forgiveness is lacking and there is a root of bitterness that has grown up. And what God wants for you in your marriage, and for those of you that are not married, God wants this for you as well. For those of you that are previously married, and maybe now you're a widow or a widower, or you're divorced and you're single, God wants your life to reflect his goodness. But he also wants you to experience the abundant life that children of a king get to experience. And forgiveness is that key. Just like, and I want you to write this in your notes, just like forgiveness is at the very heart of Christianity, forgiveness is at the very heart of marriage. It's the core of your marriage. So when Paul says forgiving one another as Christ forgave us, in the previous verses, as a matter of fact, in the previous 14 verses, Paul will list, and I'm going to place these on the screens for you, 17 sins that we commit against one another. 
Now, the book of Ephesians is not just about marriage, but marriage is a big theme in the book of Ephesians. And I want you just to look at this list of the things that we experience in our marriages. I'm just gonna read them. Futile thoughts, exclusion, ignorance, hardness of heart, callousness, slander, impurity, greed, deceitful desires, lying, foul language, malice, hurtful words, bitterness, anger, wrath, and the last one he mentions is shouting. And that's kind of like a great exclamation point at the end of this list. This is not a list. I mean, you don't read off this list on your wedding day. You wanna read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking. You don't wanna read this list, but I promise you, if you're married, you're gonna live this list. And every one of us, listen, every one of us married people and every human being for that matter has a right to be offended when one of those 17 things is done to us. You have a right to be offended when someone shouts at you. You have a right to be offended when someone slanders you. You have a right to be offended when your spouse is ignorant of what you feel and, and, and they don't ask questions about how you're doing. You have every right to be offended when that happens to you but you can give up that right to be offended because of Jesus. Think about how offended you are when one of those 17 things listed in those 14 verses is done to you by your spouse. Now think about how they feel when you do those things to them. It's easy for me to be offended if Shari hurts me, but how many times do I hurt her and I want her to extend the grace of forgiveness to me? And so what we thought we would do today is we thought we would showcase the power of a testimony. A testimony of a family right here in our church. We don't dress things up and make ourselves look perfect at New Spring because none of us are, starting with your pastors and working all the way across our church. We wanna showcase the power of a testimony. We wanna show you how forgiveness is completely possible because of the gospel, because this is your story, this is my story, this is our story, and this is Alan and Jill's story. I remember coming home one day before Alan and I were ever dating, telling my parents, I'm gonna marry Alan Cothran one day. I had been the guy who, you know, won the awards and, and you know, graduated at the top of class, and she was the homecoming queen, and we were gonna kind of be that couple in Anderson. And I mean, not in a pretentious way, but it was just, it almost felt like a foregone conclusion that that's what would happen. We were married really for, our first two years were great. Really, it was just as, as sweet and golden as it could be. years old, I go to see the doctor, um, leave with a cancer diagnosis, and and just kind of reeling. I had no concept of how to deal with it, and we, we were just kind of at a loss. He had felt a lot of weight of, like, I need to be strong for my family. I don't need to let on that I'm fearful. I remember this really sick thought that at least now I'll get to use painkillers because I've got this cancer diagnosis. It was kind of this weird silver lining to the cloud. 
Uh, certainly needed medication through that, but just kind of continued to use it and to claim that I needed it uh, well past when I did. Um, and at first it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, I could take four to six pills a day and it worked fine for a couple of years until it didn't. He became very withdrawn, um, kind of isolated himself. His sleeping patterns changed. A lot of people are noticing. And man, all I got was people's attempts to help. Like, hey, you don't seem yourself. That's how it began. You don't seem yourself. What can we do to help you? What's wrong? Are you depressed? Um, are you sick? Jill becomes aware, okay, this, all this stuff is now adding up to, well, he's been progressively, uh, using progressively more painkillers for the last several years. And that's the reason that all this is happening. Okay, great. Like, we can deal with this. Like, I'm here for you. Like, let's get, let's do what we need to do to get help. When you're in active addiction, your drug of choice quits working at some point, and so you then get really desperate to, I gotta get back, you know, to the effects that I was having. And he said, I have started drinking, and I think I need some help. And so we did various things to try to be a team and get the family on board. 2009 to 2011 is basically just a series of, well, let's try this, it didn't work, let's try this, it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work was because I just wasn't willing. A lot of my story was tied up in, we can do this together and I can help you. I can somewhat fix this and help control this. It started with a short dual diagnosis treatment thing where I stayed for like five nights. It's all fixed. I'm fixed, it's fixed. It didn't take long to relapse out of that, so we tried an outpatient thing. I'm better, I've learned so much about myself, I know the tools. It didn't take long for me to feel more hopeless than I'd felt going in. And here we were, we had two little boys and had everything under control. I lied and conned and blame assigned and would not receive the help. Here we go again, we're starting again. A lot of time passed with this up and down, up and down. And then there was one particular night, um, about 2.30 in the morning, the bathroom light came on. I'd been drinking all day long um, and remember that night just thinking if I could just go to sleep, it'd be okay. I had that thought and I remembered that Jill had some anxiety mess in somewhere. So on top of a liter of liquor that I'd drunk that day, uh, I had dumped 58 anxiety pills. I could not get expression or words or movement out of him. So I called his parents and I woke them up in the middle of the night and I said, listen, something really, really is wrong with Alan. So we got him to the hospital. At 7 a.m. that morning, his dad came out of the emergency room and he said, you're not gonna like this. And he said, he has overdosed. 
on pills and alcohol. And I said, okay. I said, I'm gonna go home now and be there when the kids wake up. And that's what I did. Her telling me I couldn't move back into the home is the kindest thing anybody's ever done for me. She'd done everything she could do. During this time that we had been apart, I released Alan to the Lord. And I let go of trying to control him or the situation or the pills because if there was ever gray for me to like apply my addict mentality and manipulate, I was gonna try to operate in that and she pulled that right off the table. About a week after I got out of ICU, uh, three friends who we'd been in home group with for years came to the house and they were amazing. They challenged me and encouraged me and, and said all the things that needed to be said. And um, at the end of that night, I remember the, the guy that was the hardest on me said, you need to take a walk. And so I took a walk that night and um, I was praying and asking God to like, asking him if he was real, asking him to do something. And what I wanted was this kind of the secret to not relapsing and using drugs again. And as clearly as I've ever heard God speak, I heard, get a job. And it was so not what I was expecting. I agreed to like, okay, maybe that is the Lord. Let me think about who I know and which phone calls I can make and what relationship I haven't wrecked. And it was just this sense of, no, that's not it. And go find something and do it differently than you've ever done it before. They hired me at $11 an hour. I cleaned up stuff in the warehouse and went out into people's homes. I was riding around Anderson, big box truck. Everything that I had been as the, you know, Hannah grad who's gonna come back to Anderson having married the homecoming queen, doing all these things, you know, the white picket fence story. All of that was just gone. And I had to come to terms with that. A month into my new job, I am driving from a recovery meeting at noon that day. This 74-year-old pulls out in front of me, and I broke my leg in the wreck. And the next thing I know, I'm in like a bed, like a recovery room, not the ER. And I look up, and I'm on a bag. I didn't know what was in it. I couldn't read anything, but I knew from the feeling. And I remember the irony of I didn't die in the wreck, and that drug right there is going to kill me. When I left the hospital, I got taken to mine and Jill's home. And I had to really dig deep to serve him and love him and care for him. I had to do everything for him. And I'm gonna tell you, I didn't feel like doing everything for him. 
So they put two plates and 13 pins. I have to stay on the pain meds. Like it, it was not manageable without it. The doctor said you can't manage it without it. And something in the two and a half months of, of clean time that I'd had had clicked that like I didn't have to give the drugs the kind of control over me that I'd given them. And four weeks passed and I remember pouring the last of the pills down the toilet and being sad because I loved them in a really sick sort of way. But it was time to be done. Forgiveness is a big part of my story. And it was certainly a process. Even though it was not the same Alan I had married, I made a vow to honor him and to love him for better and for worse. I not only made that vow to Alan, but I made that vow to God. I began to see some redemption of some things that I'd given away. I think that gave me more hope that, that maybe this can work out. Maybe I can go through the, the pain from the wreck and the pain from the surgery and get out the other side of this. But it did teach me that it takes time. I mean, we, we can't just flip uh, years of circumstances or crises or whatever. We can't just flip those off and change our reaction to things that remind us of that. It was a daily choice. I choose to love him, even though I don't feel it. I choose to forgive him, even though I don't want to. And even though I chose that yesterday and I so don't feel any forgiveness towards him, it was a daily choosing. You know, a lot, a lot of things that I have learned about the character and nature of God have, have been proven to me through my story with Jill. What is so cool about our story is that we get to see God's redemption and restoration on this side of eternity. We've gotten glimpses of that and we've actually got, we've gotten to live that. So if I, get a, if I get a pulpit, what I'm gonna preach is the person that thinks that they can't be redeemed. Like, I've seen it all get redeemed. Like, you can't convince me that it's not true, right? Like, I don't have to argue the intellectual side of it because I've seen it, I'm sitting in it. I'm married to it, I'm raising it. Like, it's all, like, I don't have to, it's not an intellectual argument anymore. I've experienced it. How in the world is that possible? How in the world could Jill do that? How could you do it? How could I do it? How can we give that kind of forgiveness? How can we receive that kind of forgiveness? I think you felt what I felt when you watched that story, that Jill was able to do what Jill was able to do because Jesus did what Jesus did for her. And Jesus has done that for us. In your marriage, there will be friction. There will be fighting. There will be frustration. There must be forgiveness. And we see in that story of Jill and Alan
our own story, that God gave up his right to be offended at our sin when Jesus died on the cross in our place. And just like in Jill and Alan's marriage, in your marriage, in my marriage, in your daily life at work and with the people that you interact with, there's a pattern that we have to embrace. And when we embrace this pattern, on the other side of it, there is freedom and there is joy and there is liberty and there is happiness. It's this pattern. Confess, repent, forgive, repeat. Confess, repent, forgive, and repeat. And I wanna just say this very clearly. One of the things I've learned in our marriage that Shari has taught me is that when you offend your spouse, or even when you don't think you've done anything wrong and they shouldn't be mad at you, but they're hurt, it is so powerful to just simply ask them this question, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Not just, I'm sorry, definitely not just, I'm sorry you feel that way, Definitely not, I'm sorry you feel that way, but, no, 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 just a simple, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I know what some of you are already thinking right now, how? How can I do that? You don't know what's happened to me. How can I do that? You don't know how offended I've been. How can I do that? You don't know how difficult it is. And I'm gonna tell you the answer to how, look at Jesus. Can't do it on your own. It's impossible for you to do it by yourself. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in the life of a believer. And it's the same spirit in you that empowered Jesus to do what he did when hanging on the cross, he forgave a criminal that was literally dying right beside him. How could Jesus do that? Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was obedient to the will of his Father. How can you forgive when you've been cheated on? When you know that your spouse has maybe had an affair? How can you forgive when you feel like your emotional needs, not only are they not met, they're not even understood. How can you forgive those little personality quirks that used to be cute when you were dating, but now they drive you crazy every day? How can you forgive an offense when you have said time and time again, this is what upsets me, and you feel like it falls on deaf ears? You can forgive through the same spirit that allowed Jesus to pray, Father, Forgive these people who are killing me because they don't know what they're doing. Hey, I wanna let you off the hook. In, the, in your flesh, you can't forgive that person that offends you. You can't forgive your spouse. But we don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the Spirit because the Spirit is in us, transforming us, making us into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Confess, repent, forgive, and do it again. Confess, repent, forgive, and do it again. And when you feel like you can't do it again, tell God, I can't do it again. And listen for the voice of your father say, I know my daughter. I know my son, I know you can't do it again, but I can do it for you. I, the father sent my son to die on the cross in your place and my spirit lives in you. You can forgive again. Can I point you back to the scripture that we looked at? Can I show you the words of the Bible and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God 
also forgave you in Christ. Today, it's time for some of us to forgive each other. It's time for some of you to ask your spouse, will you forgive me? So I'm gonna do this across all of our campuses in the moments I have left. I, I know that not all of us are married. But this is a message for everybody, whether you're married or not. But if you are sitting within physical distance of your spouse that you can touch them, I want you to grab their hand. I'm gonna ask you to do that right now. I want you to grab your spouse by the hand. Go ahead. Go ahead, just grab them by the hand. And as I ask you some questions, I want you to feel the hand of that human being that you're holding right now and realize that other than the gift of salvation, that's the greatest gift God has ever given you in that spouse, your husband, your wife. And holding their hand right now just makes you physically close, but it also gives you an opportunity to be emotionally close. So I wanna ask you some questions because I don't wanna just preach a message about forgiveness. I, I wanna see some people forgive. I wanna see some people, I wanna see you extend forgiveness and give forgiveness. I wanna see you ask for forgiveness and I wanna see many of you, in the next five minutes we're gonna see this, I wanna see many of you receive forgiveness from Jesus for salvation. So let me ask you a few questions. Has unforgiveness caused a root of bitterness to grow in your marriage? Because when a root of bitterness grows, it won't be long until the fruit of bitterness ripens. Have you allowed a root of bitterness to grow in your marriage? Bitterness will corrode and corrupt the vessel in which it is stored, not the one on which it is poured. And if you're holding unforgiveness and bitterness toward your spouse, it's like drinking poison hoping you'll hurt them. It's only killing you. Second question, are you hiding a sin from your spouse that you need to confess? Some of you need, hey, I'm just gonna go there. In a church our size, I'm sure somebody watching this message is having an affair. And you think, if I tell my spouse, my marriage is over. And I wanna tell you, that's a lie from Satan. When you confess, life will begin. It'll be hard but forgiveness can be granted. It'll be more difficult than you could probably imagine that you have a church that'll walk through it with you. Do you need to confess an addiction to pornography? Are you drinking too much? Are you flirting with an old flame on Facebook? Are you having an emotional connection with somebody you should cut off right now? Is there anything in your marriage right now that you need to confess to your spouse? This is the time, today's the day, right now, right now. We'll say it out loud, right now. Number three, have you refused to forgive your spouse for something? Are you holding a debt over their head? Are you constantly reminding them of something they did two months ago, two years ago, 22 years ago? Have you withheld forgiveness because bitterness is so addictive and it feels so good to be mad all the time and you love having that little weapon tucked away in your purse or your pocket so that in a fight, all you have to do to like end the fight, to end the argument, to win is to say, yeah, but, and then you go for it and you pull up and dig up that, that thing, that sin from previously. Stop doing that. That's not what God has for you. That's miserable. God wants you to live abundant life. There's so much freedom in life for you. Stop doing that in Jesus' name right now. Stop it. 
You can forgive, I promise you. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in harm's way. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in a, a violent situation if your life is in danger. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the daily grind of life where you can choose to forgive and you can refuse to be offended anymore. But you can't do it in your flesh. Jesus can do it through you. Ask him to help you. Ask him to help you. He will. But the most important question, have you asked God to forgive you for your sins? This is not about marriage. This is about you. This is about your soul. This is about your eternity. Have you asked God to forgive you? Because whether you're married or not, maybe you've never been married, so you've never sinned against a spouse. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. Not even one. And so I just want you to know today, your sins have already been paid for. Your debt has already been erased. Your debt has been canceled. You just have to receive it. You know how you receive it? Ask for it. Will you forgive me, Jesus? Will you forgive me for the terrible things I've done? And if you ask, he's already said yes. It's already on the table. It's on offer for you right now. Reach out and take it by God's grace. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. Let's do that right now. I feel like we need to do it right now. I feel like somebody right now, Myrtle Beach, somebody needs to get saved. Greenwood, right now, somebody's getting saved. Greenville, right now, in your building, somebody is gonna receive Christ as Savior. Right here in this room in Anderson, I believe it, I speak it, I prophesy. Somebody is about to have their sins forgiven, their debt wiped out. Everything bad in your life will now turn for good because you're going to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. Would you pray this right now if you need to be saved? Spouses are holding hands and we're all listening to the Holy Spirit. If you are ready to have your sins forgiven, pray this to Jesus right where you sit in your heart. Jesus, will you forgive me for my sin? I confess and repent I believe you died for me and I need that. I receive your salvation. I receive your grace and I give you my life in Jesus' name. Now I'm gonna ask everyone at every campus to open your eyes and look at me. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to their feet together. Every campus from Charleston to Powdersville, from, from Myrtle Beach all the way to Clemson. I want you to stand up on your feet. And if you're holding hands with your spouse, good. If you let go of their hand, take it again. Take it again. We are going to open up our altars at all of our campuses right now. They're open. I'm gonna pray a prayer and then we're gonna sing a song about how we build our life on the love of God. And while I'm praying, our ministry teams are gonna to begin to move toward the front so that you can come and talk with someone or so that you can come and get on your knees and pray at an altar and you can present your life before God for his mercy and for his grace. And I wanna see our church Tap into again what it means to hear God speak and then move. To not just sit there and consume, but to activate what God has said to us. 
So the altars are open. Ministry teams, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead at every campus and begin to make your way to the front right now. I'm gonna pray. And while I'm praying, if you need to come to the altar and pray, take your spouse by the hand and come. Come as a single person and pray. Just begin to move right now at every campus with our eyes closed. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna respond. Jesus, thank you that we can build our life on your love. And thank you that because of the grace you poured out for us on Calvary, we can be forgiven. Help us move and respond now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.